Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of How Real Life Works. Today, we are talking to Cameron Johnson, the business prodigy that Andre <laughs> had the success of lending to our podcast. Tell us how that go, Andre. I just googled him. It was simple as that. <laughs> we were talking about the different variety of guests that we wanted to have on our podcast, and one of the main theme that we wanted to have as a guest on the podcast is somebody who was successful when they were very young. So all of the famous YouTubers and streamers they didn't reply to us, <laughs> but we were happy to land Cameron, and I'm super happy that he responded to us because Cameron got to be a millionaire before he even graduated high school, and it seems like his whole life was about business. And this is what's really exciting to me is that some people are really lucky. I don't know if it's luck or if you or or what's behind this, but imagine that your whole life you do what you really love. And it makes you money and gives and it gives you freedom. I think that's what a lot of us are looking for. Yeah. And for so, sure. if you listen to this episode, you will get to hear from a guy who had to, who got to live a life like this for most of his years. Yeah, it is really. It, I think I I would say I'm not really interested in business per se growing up, and I think.、Um, For a lot of young people, when you hear business, it's very like、uh, uh, it's like a turn off. But I would say he made business fun. Like I was、uh, riveted. Like I, I was like captured from the beginning to the end of his story. So if you are like me, who is not really into business, and it's a little bit of a turn off for you, I would say、uh, open your mind. Just、uh, have a fresh mindset. This is really a great episode to maybe get you interested into how business works. We also had a special guest in this episode. We had Nitila, who is one of you guys. She's she's still a high school student, and and you know her through their mentorship program、yep. that you're part of. And we got to speak with Nitila before, and we learned that she's interested in business. So we decided to invite her into this podcast and ask her own questions to Cameron. And I think going forward, this is something that we would like to do more of. Invite.、Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you guys from the audience、uh, to either just talk to you, or to have you interview our guests from the adult world. Let's see. Yeah, let's get right into it. And today we have a special guest, not only one but two guests. The first guest is Cameron Johnson. Cameron, hi, welcome. Hey, Andrew. Andrew, it's good to be here. And we also have Nitila. Nitila, hi. Hello. Nice to be here.、Too. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I'm sorry, it's too complicated. <laughs> I'm just looking at it right now.、Um, so quickly, briefly about our guest, Cameron. You got to be a millionaire before you even graduated high school. So I think this will be pretty interesting discussion for our audience. And we also have Nitila. Yeah, we have a YWCA mentorship program. In this program, we mentor.、Um, High school students on、uh, basically giving them advice or giving the insights into the industry. So Anitella is one of the students as part of the program. She's not my mentee, but I got to know her through a friend. She's my friend's mentee, and she's really interested in business. And we think that she would be interested to know how to be a millionaire <laughs> before she <laughs> before she graduated from high school. Yeah. Yeah. You already spoiled it because you mentioned the word business. So I think it's pretty evident now that Cameron is probably something to do with business. 
I think Spoilers. the other alternative of being a millionaire before you graduate is if you sell a lot of drugs, but I guess that's not what you're doing. <laughs> not recommended. <laughs> yeah, not recommended. So, so that's what you were doing to get your first million. But what are you doing right now? Would you still consider yourself being a businessman? Is it entrepreneur? What is the difference even between these terms? Yeah, so now I, uh, I own four car dealerships and we have nine brands in the state of Virginia where I grew up in Roanoke. And I've got 175 employees and we'll do about 90 or 100 million this year in sales. Um, so I consider myself more now, uh, since I didn't start this business, it was a family business and I bought out all the family members. So I consider myself probably more of a businessman slash entrepreneur because I still do a lot of investing in startups. Um, and I'm very active in probably 50 plus startups that I've invested you know, anywhere from $10,000 to $250,000. And, um, you know, I really like seeing those businesses grow. So I don't know, uh, an advisor, I would say. Um, but I, I'm not currently starting my own business, but I had 12 before I was 21. And like you said, made my first million when I was in high school. In your dictionary, what is the difference between a business man and an entrepreneur? Is entrepreneur somebody who starts something from... Yeah, I think an entrepreneur is somebody that creates something out of nothing. Um, and you can certainly also be an entrepreneur with, you know, a failed business and you go in and you're, you know, picking up the pieces and you're growing it and you're, you know, being really scrappy. Um, but when the business is sort of flying at, you know, 30,000 feet, if you will, I think you're then more of a CEO and you're more of a leader. And your job then is to put the right team together mm -hmm. um, that can obviously manage the business. Mm -hmm. And the difference too between an entrepreneur that is a one man or one girl show starting their own business is that it's much harder to sell that business if it's just you because you bring so much of the value to the table. Whereas if you've got a business with 175 employees, if you can remove yourself from the business, then obviously you've got you know a big asset that you can sell if the business does well. We mentioned a lot of big numbers, like how many employees you have, how much money do you make. Uh, but why do you think being a businessman is important to the world? Well, I think everybody uh, you know, needs to put food on the table. And you're going to do that by, uh, by either working for yourself or working for someone else. And uh, you know, if we, uh, you know, I've never seen a poor person hire somebody. So, uh, you know, you, you've got to, uh, you've got to, uh, you know, be interested in business. And I think what starts even before business is being interested in sales, because a lot of people say, Oh my gosh, I hate sales. You know, I would never sell door to door and I hate selling in person, but you're selling yourself in a job interview, you know, on why they should hire you or you're, you're selling yourself when you're on a, a first date on why you should get a second date. Um, so all those kinds of things, I think sales is where it all really starts. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I only realized recently for myself because I used to have this bad mindset about all salespeople that they're, you know, the typical pushy people who just annoy you and they want to sell you something that you don't want to, don't want. Right. But I think like like if you are like a successful businessman or entrepreneur, the the key thing is that you're trying to selling something helpful to people to make their life right, better. Exactly. Right, exactly. And, 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 and if you're not selling something if you're not selling something helpful, you're never going to sell the customer more than one time. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to come back for more. And, you know, in sales, it's not about pressure. But what I like to say about pressure is pressure is not pressure until it's detected. So if you are showing the customer the benefits, you're not selling the features of the product. You're selling the benefits on why it's going to help them. Um, that's totally different. You mentioned that you run a few car dealerships. So I'm wondering how does your day look like? Do you actively run the businesses? Do you just casually check on it? How does it look like? So uh, 
I came back into uh, my, fa- my, my family started a Ford dealership in the 1930s. So it's been in my family for 81 years. And I came back in 2010. I was living in LA. I moved back to Virginia and I basically took over the business. I became president in 2011. Um, I bought out all of our family members a few years later. And then I bought three other dealerships. So today, I'm probably the most removed from the business that I've ever been. Um, I'll be in the office a few days or a week a month, but I talk to the office every single day. And that's usually because I'm traveling to business meetings or I'm traveling, you know, obviously on vacation. Um, I, last year, I was on 120 planes. So I travel all the time. Um, obviously, during this time period, I've not been traveling the last 90 days. Um, but I'm involved in the day-to-day. Um, and then also, there's a lot of things that I can do virtually um, that I don't need to be in the store for. So I've got a general manager that she's been with us. And it's rare to have a female be a general manager in the car business. But um, it's great for me. Um, and it's awesome because, obviously, people trust her and all those things. But she's been with us for 18 years. And so I obviously feel comfortable enough with her running the business. And she's the day-to-day. And she takes she takes all the heat. Um, and when I am there though, we reverse roles and we can play good cop, bad cop or, you know, reverse it with the sales team or, you know, I'm I'm more of a sales guy as far as working with our sales teams. And then she runs the service departments and parts and all the logistics and, you know, our HR department handles the hiring and firing. And, um, I really haven't been involved in that. I don't really handle the hiring or firing anymore mm-hmm. unless it's you know very high level person and that's and that's just rare you don't have to do that unfortunately mm-hmm. do you miss any of the of the action or the day-to-day grind that you used to do before i think the day i do miss the day-to-day grind um other than the really long hours mm-hmm. but i think my day-to-day grind now is just working on other projects or helping mm-hmm. other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. with their business mm-hmm. um and that's kind of what excites me um, my whole life, and the reason why from age 9 to age 21, you know, that's 12 years, and I had 12 businesses, is because I think uh, my attention span, just as soon as I build the business to where I think it's max potential-wise, then I become bored. And I want to, you know, start another business or invest in another business. Or, um, you know, I used to do a lot of speaking engagements. I had a book called You Call the Shots that came out in 2007. Um, and that will wear you out traveling and speaking and um, doing book signings and all those kinds of things. Um, so I did that for a few years, but then I was, you know, kind of over that. So, and that's when I got back into the business in 2010, three years after the book came out. But, um, no, I, I always wanted to stay busy. Like there's, there's no such thing as like taking my ball and going home, um, because I've, you know, been successful. Um, because when you look at people that are more successful than you, and there's obviously plenty of them to look up to, um, that's what motivates me to keep going. Mm-hmm. I'm still wondering about the startups that you mentioned. You mentioned 50 startups that you invested in. What yeah. is your activity with those startups? Some, some, none at all. Some is literally just writing a check and getting a monthly or a quarterly update um, and maybe making introductions for them. Like, oh, wow, you're, you know, let me introduce you to this business. This is what it does. Other, so the majority of them are, to be honest, very hands-off. But there's probably half a dozen where I'm pretty involved um, as far as always available email and calls. And I'm actively following you know, the company 
newsletter on how they're talking to their customers. I'm giving them advice and I'm making a lot of introductions for those people or helping them on their finance side. You know, entrepreneurs, one of the worst things I think you can do is um, raise too much money for your company. Um, I started with $50. I started in the fourth grade. I started a small printing business, just printing greeting cards and stationery off my computer. Um, and so each business that I had was a little bit bigger than the previous business. And they were also all different, but I um, never borrowed money from a bank, never borrowed money from my parents. And I never took venture capital money. Um, when I was 19, I was in college and I had a company I started called CertificateSwap.com. And I thought we needed to raise $5 million in venture capital. So I took my second semester of my first year in college off to do that. And I ended up raising $10 million in venture capital. But then I ended up turning it down and walking away from it because I realized I'd be giving up 70% of the company. And if I don't have control of the company, then I'm not an entrepreneur. All of a sudden, I own 30% and I'm an employee. Right. So, um, And actually, I would have owned 15% because I had a partner in that business. Mm -hmm. So my partner and I actually decided to turn down the money um, because if you'd taken that money too, that would have been you know, a five or a 10 year commitment to work in that business or work on certificate swap. And we were both 19 years old and we didn't want to, you know, be a 15% owner. And at the same time, we could end up with 15% of the company each and we can be fired in 18 months because we don't have control. So we decided to sell the business instead. Um, and we made a, a nice return. It was, obviously it wasn't 10 million, but we made a nice return. And that it's always just been a mentality that I, I, I have the skills and the drive to never have to work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Before I hand it over to Annie, you also mentioned the term venture capital. I think many people might not be familiar with it. Can you explain what it means, venture capital? Sure, sure. So venture capital is anytime you take an investment from you know a third party and you're doing what's called an investment round or a raise, a capital raise. Um, what you would usually do before that is you would do what's called a friends and family round. And that's where you, it's pretty self-explanatory on that one, but you reach out to your friends and your family and, you know, they might make an investment, um, you know, it could be $10,000. It could be $50,000. It could be a mortgage on your house. Um, but you usually start there, um, before you go to venture capitalists, which are truly just investors that have, you know, made a lot of money themselves and then they go and, you know, invest. And I wouldn't consider, I'm not a venture capitalist by any means, but I'm more of an angel investor. And so angel is the other, uh, one of the three real major investment terms. And an angel investor is somebody like myself who invests much smaller dollar amounts. And we don't have to take it before a committee or we don't have to do any of those things because we're not a venture capital firm. We're just me. And so that's a much smaller investment that I make as an angel. So what I usually do is invest in companies that are already profitable or at least already have substantial revenue and can quickly become profitable either by, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're not profitable because they're spending so much money on marketing because they're growing so fast. So that's understandable. Or maybe they're trying to get their costs down on the product that they're making and then they'll be profitable. But I, I don't invest in free revenue businesses. Um, and I usually, it's hard uh, as well, even though I was, a, you know, when I started my first business, I was a first time entrepreneur. Um, but it's hard to invest in um, somebody that hasn't done it before only because they need to, even if they fail, that's fine. At least they went through the motions and they've learned from it. Um, whereas it's otherwise really hard. And, and I often tell entrepreneurs that are starting the first business that think they need to raise money. I refuse to invest. And I tell them I would be hurting you if I did, because you need to do X, Y, and Z on your own and sort of, you know, 
put your boots on and, you know, hit the ground running and uh, you need to do it yourself. And by not having access to money, it actually makes you hungrier and scrappier. You know, like, oh, we don't need to hire the most expensive software, you know, right out of the gate, you know, for our accounting or this or that. So we're going to figure out how to do it in QuickBooks or right. whatever the case. Right. When you don't have access to the money, it actually saves you. And I think that what you just mentioned is referred to as bootstrapping, right? Is that correct? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I bootstrapped everything. I never took outside investment. Mm-hmm. In simpler terms, it means you gotta trust your business enough to make the best out of it with your own resources before you start reaching to your parents, your friends, and telling people just, hey, can you give me money to do my business? Because if you don't believe it, it's not gonna work. Exactly, Annie. And the other thing too is um, maybe it's, hey, friends and family, I don't want your money, but I want you to buy my product. You know, you can help me in that way or yeah. buy my service or, or help me advertise it. Tell your friends and family and, you know, just try and do it viral mm-hmm. that way. Because that's just as helpful as, you know, getting a loan. Yeah, help a nine cents of money. Um, exactly. You briefly mentioned, like, you started a business as fourth grade, and uh, that's nine, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. How did that came about? Like, did you want to start a business? Or it's more like, I wanted to, I saw a problem, I think it's a good idea, and let me make the best out of it. So I got interested in business at a really early age. And I don't know if it's because, you know, on the weekends, my dad would take me into the office at the car dealership and, you know, I would just run around and play with the cars, you know, in the showroom. But I don't know if that's what interested me in business or um, I just really started reading business magazines when I was eight, nine years old. Um, (laughs) Sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but it was like, it was like reading the news or I don't know if I was like playing adult, you know, um, I just was really interested and I knew that I'm not going to be a professional athlete. You know, I'm not going to be like a singer. I don't have any talent. So um, I'm going to be in the business world at some point, you know, later in life. Um, And the way the business started was I had a computer and a printer um, that I'd gotten as a Christmas present. And I was printing, um, like showing my mom how I could print, you know, invitations using this software back in the day. It was called Print Shop Deluxe. So I printed this this, um, greeting card. And I took it downstairs and I showed it to my mom. And she's like, oh, wow, well, that's awesome. You can print the invitations for a party your dad and I are having, you know, in a couple of weeks. And I said, only if you pay me. And literally, <laughs> that's, like, literally, that was my first sale. You know, I might have gotten $20. Um, but I made these screening cards. And on the back of them, you know, if you had a Hallmark card on the back, obviously, it says it's Hallmark. So on the back of my cards, it said printed by Cameron Johnson. And obviously, these are all my parents' friends. So they saw, oh, wow, that's cute. You know, their eight or nine-year-old kid printed these. Um, and then that led to a couple more sales. And then, you know, word sort of got out. And I got a local news story in our just, you know, local paper when I was nine. Um, and then it sort of just snowballed from there. And I ran that business. Ran that business. I did that for two years. Um, and then when I was 11 there was this huge craze called Beanie Babies. And um, uh, these Beanie Babies sold for $5, you know, at Hallmark or gas station. But they, some of them were really rare and they would sell in the hundreds or even thousands of dollars each. And so I went in uh, to my sister's room and I saw that she had, you know, maybe 20 Beanie Babies. She was six years younger. So she was five or six. And I said, Claire, what if I give you $100 for all of your Beanie Babies? Because I knew I could sell them for more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm basically paying her, but I'm stealing them. So, so, um, her. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've paid her back. But, um, and uh, so I paid her $100 and there was this new website. This was 1995. I was 11 called eBay. 
And I literally put them on eBay and they sold in, you know, five days for a thousand dollars. So I instantly wow. made nine hundred dollars. And I said, why am I printing greeting cards and stationery for 20 bucks a pop when I need to be in the Beanie Baby business? And so because I had a computer and a printer and because I had the internet, that's obviously how I used eBay, I looked up the company that made Beanie Babies. And this is why when you don't have money or, or you know, too much money, you're resourceful. And so I looked yeah. up the company that made Beanie Babies. And I went to their website, Thai Incorporated. They're still in business. They're in Oak Brook, Illinois. And I got their address and I literally, I, was, I don't know how to write a professional business letter. You know, I'm 11. So I, this is also free Google. So I'm really dating myself. So I went on Yahoo search engine uh, that used to exist sort of. And uh, I type in sample business letter and obviously a sample business letter comes up and it says, you know, you put your address first, you put the address of the you know person or business you're writing to. And if you don't have somebody's name, it says put to whom it may concern. So literally, I wrote a letter to him and make concern. My name is Cameron Johnson. I'm the president of Cheers and Tears Printing Company. We're located in Roanoke, Virginia. I never told him I was 11 because if I was 40, I wouldn't be telling him I was 40. That's how I always justified it. <laughs> true, true. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's a type, you know, I mean, so why would I tell him my age? So I used my age to my advantage when I was getting like a news story or free publicity, obviously. But then I always hid behind my computer and the internet all the other time. So because I always wanted to be taken seriously. So yeah. if I had to like get on the phone with somebody, then they would obviously be able to tell from my voice that I'm some kid. But if I write a, a nice email, no one's going to even think to ask. Like nobody's going to say, how are you? You know, they're just not going to ask. Mm, yeah. So I wrote this letter to whom it may concern with my you know, president of Tears and Tears printing company. I'm the president and I'm the janitor, but, but I'm everything. <laughs> and uh, and I, uh, I said, I'm interested in selling your Beanie Babies over the internet. Please send more information. And literally... The more information was just basically an order form. And these are Beanie Babies that sold for $5 in the store. And I could buy them wholesale for $2.50. A couple weeks later, that order form comes. And the minimum order was 1,000 Beanie Babies. And I was like, holy crap, how long would it take me? You know, she had 20, but how long is it going to take me to sell 1,000? And at $2.50 a piece, that was going to be $2,500, which is basically my life savings. Because along those couple of years, I would buy a new computer. I would buy myself a better printer. So I had better product, all those kinds of things. So I really only had $2,500. And that was going to be all of it. So what's ironic is, you know, you have to have a credit card. And no 11-year-old, obviously, can have a credit card. You have to be 18. But when I was 10... Uh, my mom helped me set up a checking account for Tears and Tears Printing Company because I didn't want my customers to keep writing checks to my parents. My parents cashed mm-hmm. the checks and give them to me. I just thought it was like unprofessional and I always wanted to like play grown up. So I had a checking account. Um, so I had checks. So literally, I could write a check for the $2,500, which I did. I didn't have to tell my parents I was doing this or anything for my checking account. Wow. And so I, so I spent the $2,500. I mailed it out. And I never told my parents that a thousand Beanie Babies were about to come to the house. And I come home one day from school and my mom yells, what have you done? <laughs> and I don't know what she's talking about. And she goes, like, what do you mean? And she, I didn't know if I was in trouble for what. And uh, she said, what did you order? And I was like, oh, great, Beanie Babies. <laughs> and so uh, she's like, why did you do that? Why? You know, it's your money. Go waste it if you want to. And I was like, no, I'm going to sell them. And so literally in a matter of weeks, I sold the first thousand you know, doubled my money basically. Then I ordered 2000, sold those. Then I ordered 3000. And then it got to the point where I was stocking 5,000 Beanie Babies in a closet in my parents' basement. And I was then paying my dad $75 a month for rent for that closet. 
I mean, so, I mean, it was just like, I didn't set out to do it, but that's what happened. And then, you know, at the end of the year, I always told my mom when my bank statement came in the mail, you know, it's illegal to open somebody else's mail. So, you know, you don't, you can't look at my bank statement. <laughs> so they really never did. What are these conversations it, at 11 years old? Yeah, I know. I'm just like, so, so then, you know, basically at the end of the year, I made $50,000 selling Beanie Babies. And wow. my, my dad had to introduce me to his attorney because I had to file a tax return. And uh, I felt I paid taxes when I was 12. And I have that. What's funny is I'm 35 now and I've got, you know, a lot of real estate and a lot of different businesses and a lot of investments and everything. And I still use the same lawyer that I used when I was 12. Wow. So for 23 years, Neil has been my right hand lawyer and handles everything. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how the whole thing got started. And then the, the reason why I got out of the Beanie Baby business was because I was going into middle, middle school and uh, or I was in middle school and going into seventh or eighth grade, whatever it was. And I didn't want, I never told any of my friends about this. So I didn't want to be teased as like the Beanie Baby Kid, uh, even though if you Google it, that's what my name comes, you know, comes up all the time now. But so that's why I got out of business is because I didn't want to be like beaten up or something. The Beanie Baby um, guy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to like be called that. So um, I got out of the Beanie Baby business. And also I was tired of every day I, I played soccer and I played soccer four years in high school. But when I came home from school, I had soccer practice. And then late at night is when I would fill all the orders and I would sit there and stuff these beanie babies into the box, print out a receipt for the customer, you know, obviously seal it up. Everything customer never knew that they were dealing with a, a 12, 11 or 12 year old. Um, and then, um, my mom, after soccer practice every day, would drive me to the post office to mail the previous night's orders. So I would have them in a trash bag. I'd walk into the post office. And we lived in a small neighborhood where you could like ride your bike to the post office. But I couldn't ride my bag with 40 packages. So she would drive me to the post office. And ironically, the same way I had the same attorney, uh, this guy that worked at the post office back then, he's now near retirement, but he still works at the same post office. And I see him all the time. His name's Brian. And so it's just so funny. I've known him for 23 years from, you know, coming in as a kid. And I would literally sit there at the post office and write a check for the post. I don't, I don't think they take checks anymore, but I would sit there and write a check out from my checking account. Mm -hmm. So that's just how it all started. And then I really just got tired of having to go to the post office and having to stock all these beanie babies. And so yeah. that's why I also I was like, I need a business where it can be virtual, you know, and that's what got me started into the advertising business. And I started, uh, and I had an idea. This So back in the day, everybody had an AOL email address. Um, mm -hmm. And before, you know, Gchat and everything else, um, there was a thing called AIM. So it was AOL Instant Messenger. And that's how everybody communicated. You would give out a screen name. So then your screen name at AOL.com is your email address. So what I did was that's like a privacy hazard because if you gave out your screen name or your email, people could see when you're online, they could see, you know, a profile, they could see all these kinds of things. So I was like, what if we had my easy mail, which would just be an email forwarding service. And like, this isn't revolutionary, obviously now, um, but, but you would, you could create a free account. So Annie at my would just instantly forward to your AOL, but you didn't have to give out your AOL. So yeah. it was like privacy, but then we made money on advertisements. So free service, we made money on ads and all of a sudden I was making three or $4,000 a month, which still not a huge amount of money, but it was basically the same as what I was making with Beanie Babies, but I was doing like zero work. And nobody so, knows you're the AOL guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, 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 right, exactly. And so I loved it because I literally was, I would get a check from the advertising, you know, the agency that, you know, the network that we ran ads every month and I literally did nothing. So from then on, I wanted to do more into the online advertising space and I came up with the idea of surfingprizes.com. And this is the, you know, a big company probably at this time period that made me the most money in high school, but it was an idea where you would get paid as a customer part of our ad revenue. So we would share 70% of what we get and we would keep 30%. So what it was, it was a software program that would sit at the top of your screen and it would see the websites you're going to. It wouldn't tell us, so there's no privacy hazard. But if you went to, you know, uh, barnesandnoble.com, we could show you an Amazon ad. If you went to AT&T, we could show you a Verizon ad. So the ad prices were really high because basically you could advertise on your competitor's website this way. Um, so we made a lot of money. And then also we had a referral program where if you tell your friends about it, you can get basically paid while they surf the internet. So the phrase was like, get paid to surf the internet almost. And uh, we grew to have 200,000 customers when I was 15. And um, we were doing $15,000 a day in revenue. I remember 70% of that's paid off to the members. And we've got expenses of servers and I had uh, two business partners on that actually. Um, one was the designer that like builds the websites and all those kinds of things. And then one was the like software developer. And both of those guys, great guys, they went on to be really successful. And mm -hmm. one of them was at Facebook for a while and I think he's at Apple now, but, um, two great other young kids. And the reason why I partnered with other young kids was basically because I could get free labor because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to hire some really expensive salt. You know, I didn't want to hide. I didn't want to be taken advantage of. And I also didn't want to just be writing checks to a developing company that I don't know. So by giving them ownership, we basically all worked for free, but we all made money along the way. And, um, you know, it really paid for both those guys to go to college. Mm -hmm. So that was a, that was a fun business. And we ran it for a couple of years and we sold it and we sold it for a lot less than what we could have sold it for because we refused to sell the customer data. So we had your name, we had your address because we mail you a check. We have your social security number because we have to file taxes, you know, give you a 1099 if you got more than $600 in a year. So we have all this private personal information on you. And that was like incredibly valuable. Yeah. But us as teenagers at like 17, uh, and today anybody would sell the data. But at 17, we were like, if, if the new company did something wrong with the data, then that's going to come back on us. So let's only sell the assets to the company. So, you know, we've just always, I always tried to protect myself in those yeah, days. Yeah, you're pretty responsible. Just be, yeah. yeah, exactly. Be pretty smart about things like that. Even at that age, I was like, do we want to do this? You know, we can, you know, move on and start new businesses. Yeah. Um, during all those times, you know, having all these multiple businesses, what did like business, what was business to you then? Like, what did it mean to you? Was it just being it was a like a fun? Oh, okay. Yeah. It was literally a hobby and it was a sport like all in one. And so it was never about the money. I mean, that's jokingly, that's how you can keep score, <laughs> but it was never about the money. It was literally about the challenge and the excitement of just starting something and going through the whole process. And yeah. once you've started one business or two business, uh, it gets really easy. You know exactly what to do. Like, Oh, we need a website. This is where we go do it. Oh, domain name this is where we do it. Blah, 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 blah. So, oh, we need to set up a, you know, credit card merchant account, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, you know, you've just learned so much in that time period that, you know, I could start a business in a week now if, you know, if you really needed to. So that, that just got easier and easier 
um, the boring stuff got easier and easier. And so you got to spend more time on fun stuff, which is selling it. Or in that case, I, you know, I would put out a press release all the time because I always said, um, people are skeptical of an ad, but people trust a news story. Um, and so if I could get a news story, that gives me credibility, which means, oh, even though I'm 12, people aren't afraid to buy a Beanie Baby from me. Or, oh, I'm 15, we should go use this product because we saw it on the Today Show. It's got to be real. So, like, and, and also, I didn't have to pay for any of it. So I'm getting free exposure and sort of building my brand, if you will, back then. And uh, that it was definitely a sport. I'm still wondering what are the Beanie Babies? I didn't Google uh, it. Yeah, you can Google it. You'll find them pretty fast, but they're not worth <laughs> anything now. So I don't advise you to buy them. They're literally like stuffed little uh, beanbag toys. And they're not toys. They don't do anything. But they just sit there. <laughs> you mentioned that yeah. you went to university, but then you, did. then you stopped. I'm wondering, yeah. why did you even think you have to go to university in the first place if you were so successful? So I always said I, to my parents and to anybody that asked, and I didn't like as my businesses became more, I guess, successful or profitable or whatever you want to say. Um, I obviously cared less and less about school because I knew it wasn't, you know, whatever grade I get in chemistry is not going to matter. <laughs> like I'm never going to be doing anything with chemistry. Right, right. So if I got a C, I would not care. So I'm not going to put my the, the amount of time it would have taken me to like get good at chemistry or something and go from a C to an A was super irrelevant. So. Um, I basically was never going to go to college. And I would say Bill Gates dropped out of college. Michael Dell dropped out of college. Obviously, back then, nobody knew who Zuckerberg was, but he dropped out of college. Richard Branson dropped out, didn't even graduate high school. So I can name all these successful people that, you know, just found a different path. And my dad basically said, look, you can lose, you can lose your money, you can lose your house, you can lose a car, you can lose even your wife, but you can never lose an education. So I was like, eh, okay, I'll go to college, but I'm going to use it to try and find free programmers. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> seriously, I was like, I'll go for the experience. I'll go for like, and, and I sat in a business class and this is my first semester. They, they, it was funny. They, they had like a newsletter that highlighted, you know, certain students that were incoming freshman class. And, you know, they said, Hey, Cameron Johnson, he, he's, you know, been featured in all these newspapers and he's a young business guy. This person, she's an Olympic swimmer, blah, blah, blah. So all these different things. So like people sort of knew my name almost on campus. Um, but they let me take like a second level business class and I'm sitting in there one day and this is probably a month into school. So say it's October or something. And, uh, I come in and, it was actually my girlfriend's sister was sitting next to me at the time. And she said, did you do the reading last night? I was like, no, I didn't do the reading. Why? And uh, she's like, turn to page 182 or whatever. So I turned to page 182 and there was a picture of me in my own business textbook. So I immediately <laughs> said the chapter was on entrepreneurship. And there was a story on me in Business Week magazine when I was 15. And it talked about, you know, the businesses and surfing prizes. And uh, that business textbook was, Business Week was owned by McGraw Hill. And McGraw Hill also produced the textbook. So they literally had just taken their own news story, threw it in an expensive business textbook. Mm -hmm. And there I was in my own textbook without even knowing, you know, it's like, I didn't get paid for this, but it was a news story that they took and shoved in there. So at that moment, like from then on, my professor, if you want to call her that, a teacher, she literally would just call on me for like, any business question, like a student could raise their hand and ask her a question. And she'd be like, Cameron, do you want to take this one? 
And I'd be like, yeah, the difference between an S corp and a C corp is basically your tax filing. So I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, so I took this. And no one semester. is paying you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I took this free semester off to raise money, the five million that turned into ten for certificate swap, and we sold it. But then I said, why? Well, I don't need to go back. And and my justification to my parents, I mean, they obviously would have liked to see me graduate, but my justification to my parents um, was that look, if I am in school for three more years, well, that's three years I can't get back in the business world. And so I, I called it the lost opportunity cost. You know, if I could be making this amount of money in the real world and learning and failing and succeeding in the real world, that's better than, you know, it's still an education no matter how you shape it. So, uh, you know, they're fine with it and life goes on. In a way, do you feel like um, when you're already having these experiences that uh, school is not part of, I guess, like the real world? Because like going back to university, getting an education was supposed, I think in a lot of young people's minds, it's like preparing you for the real world, right? And since you already have right. that, it's like you can get this education, what you just said, like in school, or you can just get it with real experiences. And that's what you chose to do, right? Yeah. And it just naturally sort of happened that way. And, you know, being that everybody is on Zoom these days, even when, you know, college is shut down and they went remote. I think that's going to really change the college dynamic because why do I need to pay, you know, $100,000 or more for four years of school? Or why do I need to borrow from the next 20 years of my life as far as how long it takes to pay student loans back um, when I can just go to any school online? You know, I'm, I would choose, you know, the cheapest and best school online. I mean, what's the difference in, a, you know, your professors that much better? You know, people... People choose a school because of the prestige and the location and campus and all those things. But if that's all now changed or slowly changing, you know, whatever it ends up doing, well, you can get online education and you can also do it a lot faster. You don't need to be mm -hmm. four years where you've got, oh, summer break and oh, this, and, oh, that. You know, I say you, you just plow through it in 18 months and get a four-year degree. Um, the four-year degree is just, I mean, I, I was ahead of the, the trend. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of you know, people are choosing anti-school now just because of the cost, the cost of college. I was always, this is in my book. I, it just sickens me when I see what my friends had graduated with and how much student loan debt they have. Even my college girlfriend, um, she, you know, she, she graduated with an incredible amount of student debt and, um, it's just kind of sickening. Um, and so it's just not a choice for ever. Not everybody needs to go to college. You know, I've got a, my personal trainer, She's in her 40s. Hopefully, she's not watching this. But she went back to college because she, you know, wanted to maybe do a different career. And so she literally just borrowed money and just did this a few years ago while she was still, you know, doing personal training. And um, she's still personal training. Like, didn't do anything with it. It was an incredible waste of money. Um, but people sell you on, hey, you need to go back to school. I mean, I've had people come into our dealership. You know, being a, in the car business, and you know, when I was really, really involved. You know, we sell a couple hundred cars a month. So we see credit applications on hundreds of people per month. And on a credit application, or when we pull your credit, I'm seeing how much you make, you know, because I'm sending it to the bank to get you qualified for a car. I'm seeing your credit so I can see your student loan debt if you have any. And sometimes I'll see, like, maybe it's a lawyer that makes 40 or 50 grand, but she's got 200,000 in student loan debt. You could have made 40 or 50 with no student loan debt going into sales, you know, or anything. Um, I mean, one time I saw, this is so sad. There's a uh, cleaning lady at a hotel 
in our hometown. She was making $1,800 a month and she had 40000 in student loan debt. She's just never going to be able to pay that back. Um, just, it's just tragic. So anyways, yeah, that's my rant on that school. <laughs> <laughs> so would you actually recommend to young people to look for alternative ways how to gain that education and experience outside of the typical school system? Yeah, I mean, we obviously need people to go to school, right? I want my doctor to have gone to school. <laughs> I, want my, uh, I want my lawyer to have gone to school, um, but not everybody needs it. And uh, my only opposition to college, and this isn't to say make it free because that doesn't solve the problem, but my only opposition is the cost. And people are sold um, a really expensive diploma when they're 18 years old and they sign a you know student loan agreement and they don't know what they're signing. So I think you just, there needs to be like a lot more education, ironically, a lot more education around the process and the cost. And hey, maybe you should do two years at community college and stay close to home and then transfer into, you know, because it's the same four-year degree wherever you yeah. finish. It's not a matter of where you start. So I just think there's a lot of ways that you can be smart about it and save money. Do you think people should do something while they're studying to gain actual practical experience? <laughs> Totally, totally. Like somebody comes to me and they say, I want to start a restaurant. Well, first of all, don't ever start a restaurant. But um, they say, they say, I want to start a restaurant. And I can be like, oh, have you ever worked in one? And they're like, no, but it would be so cool to own a restaurant and a bar. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, if you want free on the job training, go work in a restaurant and learn everything you can. And, you know, have the owner or manager mentor you and just suck up everything and do everything, you know, you're asked of. And that's the same for anybody. Like, It should be required. It, you should get credits for it actually in college to have a job while you're, you know, in school because you learn so much um, by doing. Um, so I mean, it's really important to be active in clubs and organizations and all those things. But um, yeah, work, working uh, somewhere is is tremendous, even if it's unpaid as an internship. Mm-hmm. Like it, it goes on your resume. People are looking at your work experience a lot more than they're looking at your GPA. It's also important for you to know what actually happens in that because maybe your idea of working in a restaurant is like really chill and something like that. And you go in and you see the kitchen is like, oh, my God, what is happening? Right. Right. And exactly. Decide, OK, never mind. Restaurant's not for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you see that they're not they're obviously not easy businesses. But if you want to be a lawyer, why don't you go intern as a secretary at a law firm? Mm-hmm. And then you might be like, well, this is incredibly boring. I don't want to do this. Um So people just like, I just think there's a smarter way that, you know, people, but they're, but people are 18 years old. So what do you expect? And, and they're, and everybody's yelling at them from their parents to their grandparents, to everybody, go to college, go to college, go to college, you know, colleges, they might be non-for-profit as far as paying taxes, but colleges make a lot of money. Look at the expensive buildings and go to any college campus and they're building buildings. Um, and that's with your money. You know, you're saying like, um, without, going to college, right? So you, you gain all that knowledge. You're able to answer all those questions through your experiences, right? But you're saying if we don't go to college, um, you, you didn't go to, you stopped going to college and then you ended up trying to do your own businesses, right? So I'm wondering yeah. if I wanted to work at a company, I'm not necessarily thinking about working my, like being an entrepreneur, starting my own business. Um, then would not going to college or, um, you know, going only a year or two, would that be beneficial? Because I'm thinking that going to like university, then I'm going to have like, obviously that name of going to that like nice university would help me get into a good company. 
right? right. Whether that's not a good way of thinking or not, that's how that's how my mind. I, I mean, I would never tell you to not go to college because you know you're coming up on the years, some of the best years of your life, and that's what you you should do because you know not just because you're supposed to, but it, it's never going to hold you back. I guess if you put it that way. Um, so, and it can never be taken away from you. Like my dad told me, so you can never lose it. Um, it's just a matter of maximizing it. And that's, I think a combination of choosing the right school, right school, meaning, you know, it's good at what you want to do. Like it's a good business school or it's good, whatever. And then also the cost. Um, and then while you're there, apply for every internship you can ask for and choose the best one that you get, you know, choose the best internship you get chosen for. Um, I mean, I think it was uh, Google or Facebook. One of them, it was on CNBC the other day that they're no longer going to require college education. So that the trend is slowly, but I mean, that, yeah, you know, if they had, look at it this way too, if they had two resumes sitting in front of them and everything else was the same, but one had college and one didn't, they're probably going to hire the college person. So I, I can badmouth it all I want, yeah. but it, it, you can't take away from it. So I, it, it obviously, you know, it can't hurt you. I was thinking like, um, a little bit like, cause well, what you were, the reason why you didn't go to college, um, like the, the, um, the reasons that you gave your parents, like a lot of it, this was revolved around money and making money, but obviously you have a love for business and it's, it's, I think it's really rare that people stumble upon what they love really young. Um, but, in your experience, is there a way that you can um, leverage on that and then like really zoned in? Like, when did you real uh, kind of like realize or set your mind into like business role is like my thing? Like, this is what I love. I, I think it's because I literally like treated it like it was a sport and it never felt like a job because it was a hobby and it was working for myself. So I did love it. And if I didn't want to do it, I could just stop. And, you know, I it's basically freedom, have it right? Yeah, because I because I've enjoyed it, I haven't stopped. Um, so I think I, I always, I mean, I think I knew when I was a kid that this is going to be um, what what I'm going to do. And then the money part, obviously, um, my dad also says like if you chase the money, the money will run out. Um, it, but if you chase the passion and all those things and the skill, then the money will come to you. And that's kind of what what happened. Um, mm. And then the money part at this stage in my life, I'm 35, no kids, never been married. Um, but it, it gives me the freedom. Like I can, uh, I bought a place here in Florida two weeks ago, um, just because I have the freedom to, to do those things and freedom to travel. Like I mentioned, I was on 120 planes last year, traveling, you know, the globe. And I do that with friends and business friends. And I surround myself, you know, the other, the other quote that I love is, you are uh, the average of your five closest friends. Um, and that's totally true. You know, if you surround yourself with drug addicts, then you're probably a drug addict. If you surround yourself with successful people, you have a pretty good chance of being successful. And so my network of people um, are some of the most successful people I know, um, most more successful than me and, and some less in all different ages. Um, but like we enjoy like our dinner conversations are business. Like we, um, we travel and just talk business and, you know, exchange news ideas, uh, or sorry, news stories. And we're like, why would they be doing that? You know, and we like, we debate things. Um, and so it's, it's just sort of the life that I was able to build because of the freedom that it gives you. Um, and then an, another good book too, this is a old book, but, um, was, I love the title. It was free agent nation. 
And uh, I like it because I've always considered myself a free agent. So I can literally, you know, like a free agent as an athlete, you can be traded to any team. I can literally pack up my bags. And if the right opportunity of, you know, hey, do you want to go partner and do this business? I could move somewhere tomorrow. Um, I'm not tied to anything. So I love the idea of, you know, the flexibility of free agent. Um, yeah, it's probably why I'm non-committal in relationships too. But anyway. <laughs> I'm wondering um, how your parents played the role in your love for business because you mentioned in some of your stories that to me it seems like like it was like doing something in your family was very transactional like when you first wanted to charge you know for the card yeah. to your family and then your yeah. you had to pay rent to your dad yeah. to store mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's true and the rent thing uh you know $75 for the closet i think was you know him, he didn't obviously care about $75 i think it was just you know showing me you know, a lesson or this or that. Um, but I was always like rewarded as a kid for good grades, you know, with $10 per A or whatever it was. And I was always sort of paid for chores, you know, so I never was one to like, if you, if they paid me to mow the grass, I would pay somebody else to mow it and keep the difference. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, like it wasn't, uh, yeah, but it was sort of transactional. And I think that's just the way I was raised. And, But, you know, my sister has the same parents and she couldn't be more different. She has no interest in business. Um, my parents, um, you know, they, I actually went to boarding school for high school, my freshman and sophomore year, because my parents want, well, A, they wanted me to go to a prep school for college, but they wanted to like force structure into my life, um, where I couldn't just be up until three in the morning working on my business. And, you know, I would be held to a study hall if my grades weren't good and, Uh, it was a really great school, but I actually, sophomore year at Christmas, I came home for Christmas break. And, you know, this is the time when you're 16 and people are getting cars and they're getting girlfriends. And this was actually an all guys school. So no girls and you're not allowed to have a car. Um, and so I said to my parents, I'm not going back to Woodbury. And my dad said, yes, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. So uh, I went back, you know, in January after Christmas break and I, I stayed probably three days And I called my dad and I said, look, I've got enough money that if you don't let me move in with you, I can just get my own place and come home and graduate public school with all my friends. And this is what I want to do. I'm supposed to be doing this. You know, that's what I want. And so he's like, all right, here's the deal. So this is another example. I'm very transactional. My dad said, if you reimburse me the $25,000 in tuition, then you can come home. <laughs> and I said, bring my checkbook. And he said, we'll, we'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> so I paid to get out. <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy. But yeah, it is always transactional. And my sister, looking back, nothing was ever transactional. She's, you know, I guess, you know, so, my so spoiled did you, sister. Did your parents raise you differently? I think that they gave me enough um, guidance and love and support. And I, my mom needed to help me set up the checking account when I was 10 or drive me to the post office to, you know, mail Beanie Babies or... You know, dad needed to get me his lawyer to do a tax return. Like they always like sort of supported whatever direction I was going or in. Um, but my mom also would like set her alarm at two in the morning to wake herself up to come tell me to go to bed. Um, so, the, and you know, they, they, I don't think they could control me. So, 
I was gonna ask you, what did you do with all that money in high school uh, when you make a million? But I guess you used it to buy yourself <laughs> out of sticky situations. That's your twenty five grand, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because I was like Annie, I was like, well, surely he's not going to cash the check, but no, he cashed he the check. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, you know, I started buying stocks when I was twelve years old, and I did that because when I was maybe ten. In my Christmas stocking, my parents wanted me to learn about stocks, and they gave me one share of three different companies that I knew. You know, so one share of Disney, one share of what、well, was Toys R Us, which doesn't exist anymore, and one share of Microsoft or AT and T, some some other you know name that anyone would know. And you know, I just thought that was so cool. Like, wow, I own part of this company, and you know, when a company pays a dividend, you get a check in the mail. So like. Wow, I'm gonna get you know twelve dollars in the mail when they pay a dividend.、Um, I just thought that was so cool, so I started investing when I was twelve and thirteen in the stock market, and then now I trade stocks every single day. So you know we got on this call at four o'clock Eastern. I literally just got out of you know my Schwab trading account to jump on the Zoom because I trade every single day, and I did I think it was six hundred trades last year. So I'm just very active because I enjoy it.、Um, So, so there's no、uh, boat parties with all your friends、uh, on a yacht. Just on, <laughs> just on, just on my friends' boats. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, when you're buying those stocks, or、um, even with your businesses, do you have like、um, these values that you try to、uh, refer to while you're buying these stocks, like from, or when you're doing these businesses? So, for me, like, environment is one of my biggest concerns, and I feel like with business that they both correlate a lot. And I'm wondering, like, what your values are, and if did you ever have to sacrifice your values and be like, well, I have to choose my business over this. I can only do one for for your stock. Yeah. So、um, I've never had to sacrifice my values, and I don't think I would.、Um, and you know, I I look at it through sort of a、um, uh, clear lens. So I wouldn't necessarily.、Um, I wouldn't invest in a company that's like obviously doesn't align with my morals or values or that side of sort of thing. As far as like investing in an environmental type company, I would a hundred percent do that if I thought they had a good business model and you know they were on the path to success.、Um, the same way I would look at you know AT and T, and I think that's a good stock because five G is coming and you know they don't really do anything wrong in the world that I know of. And then、um, like I I don't really support like. Marijuana and the whole CBD or whatever the cringe the craze is right now. So like I would never buy like a marijuana stock. So even though they were like going really high, you know, it's just not for me. So I do I invest in things I know, and I think that's just because that's what Warren Buffett said a long time ago: buy what you know. And、um, you know, he's never bought. This is so funny. He's never bought into any tech companies because he's like, I don't know. You know, he's ninety-one years old or whatever now, and he's like, I don't know. You know, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to invest in it. And so, you know, I think I just think I do it that way. But I don't go and invest in something just because. You know,、uh, I, instead of doing that, I would just give to charity. You know, in my cause,、right. which I do a lot of that, like Boys and Girls Club, and I mean a long list.、Um, but I usually give six figures a year away to charity, so that's how I align that way, and it's totally separate from my investments. I think that just sharing your life story has been very inspirational for many of us, especially the young people listening. But I'm wondering if you could give any practical advice advice for young people right now, like if they wanna 
have parties on the boats or just do their passion through business? What, what should they do? Well, I mean, I, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, compound interest. And, you know, the more money you can make when you're young or the more money you can save when you're young uh, is only going to grow over time. And there's always going to be time. And that time, as it grows, is going to give you more freedoms later. So if you are not working very, very, very hard right now, well, then you are going to pay for it later um, or you're just going to be broke your whole life. But, um, you know, there's there's obviously work hard, play hard, and you should be rewarded and all those things. But um, I, I, I think the advice, um, the real advice is to put yourself out there. And so many people are... Uh, right now, well, everybody hates everybody, apparently, is what the news says. But um, you just need to put yourself out there and like really go for whatever it is you want. Um, so apply for the job you don't think you're qualified for and see what happens. You know, Do as many interviews as possible, and you're going to get better at doing interviews, mm-hmm. uh, job interviews. Um, you know, Apply to as many schools as you want, because then that's going to give you more choice later when you find out which ones you got accepted to. Um, so I think just constantly putting yourself out there and networking and find a mentor in the f- whatever field it is that you want to go into. And it doesn't mean you have to have coffee with them every single week. And for me, some of my mentors are people I never even met, but I studied them and followed them and I read their books. Um, and I read so many books as a kid, as far as business, I never read like, and, and also like I would always say to my friends that are like, like crazy, crazy into sports. Like, yeah, I love going to a game. I love going to a concert, all those things. But you knowing all of the stats of, you know, every player on the team, like if you put that energy into your work or your, you know, family or into your business or your job or anything, if you put that amount of time into it, um, and then if you don't put that amount of time in it, that sounds like you don't like what you do. And you should always, you know, obviously the phrase, if you, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Um, obviously a true phrase the, the practical advice is to just you know life is serious and life and there's time for life to be fun mm-hmm. i think we can get very specific on your practical advice because nitila she has her big uh, business monopoly plans do you want to share <laughs> what, what you wanted to do That's sweet yeah um my friends and i uh we're a group of three and we've been seeing a lot on instagram uh, a lot of jewelry making but specific ones they're these clay jewelry and they ha- all have they're very popular amongst like these certain groups of people but they all have these similar kind of layout or designs and like staple designs that people like usually when they think of clay earrings they go to buy those designs but we're wondering kind of how can we differentiate ourselves from the competition um like we right now is Especially we have one person from our school who happens to do this exact same idea before we could get it started. And seeing her gather all this attention, we're kind of, we, we don't want to do the same thing she does, even though it's right. kind of like the same topic. Right. So, well, I mean, are you going to sell these over Instagram and like to anybody or sell them locally? Um, we were thinking... Um, we're thinking on Instagram, like we would advertise them through Instagram, right. and then we we're seeing how this classmate of ours was doing it, and she was basically gathering orders locally, and then um, people came to collect them from her in person. But we were thinking we didn't really want to put our names on the right. List. I was going to say so you we, could be anonymous yeah. the other way. 
yeah, so and she wouldn't necessarily like, know. Yeah. So we're thinking about Shopify or Etsy and think of other online platforms where jewelry, like Etsy would be, it feels like a good platform. And you, you said you make these, right? Yeah. You know, the other thing you can do is you could list, you know, make one of 50 different styles, but only make one of each and list all those on Etsy or Instagram, et cetera. And then whatever the popular styles are, you know, see what sells and then just make more of those and then drop the other styles. But you could have a big catalog of, you know, designs, even though you don't have like, you know, thousands of them made and then you just make them as they come in. Um, so it's like creating a whole, you know, catalog of products, even though you just make it when somebody wants to buy it. Um, yeah, Etsy seems like a logical choice. And, you know, there's so many ways to make money on the internet. Back in the day, it was, you know, eBay, um, only a couple other, you know, rip-off auction sites um, like eBay. But now you literally have Etsy. You have obviously people making money on Instagram. Um, we all have talked before about the people making money on YouTube. We talked about the, the you know, a uh, previous interview. We all talked about, you know, the, the kid who gets paid to you know, be recorded unboxing toys, um, you know, or the people that get paid to do pranks. Obviously, that's not going to last forever. And those are definitely jobs, not businesses. They can't sell them. They have to constantly create new content. And, uh, you know, people are going to get bored and uh, move on to the next new thing. But um, I like the idea of you selling on Etsy and locally. And I wouldn't worry about your, your other person selling. It's, yeah. it's competition. <laughs> like, Thank you. Yeah. Would you would you pay more attention to the competition, or is it more about just focusing yeah. on who you're selling? Yeah. Your customers? I, I always said in my book, I say know your competition better than they know themselves, and that literally means be a customer of your competition. You know, buy something from them and see, you know, how do they ship it, or how you know how long did it take, or what kind of emails do they send out, or do they suck at sending emails out? Well, do they do they add you to a newsletter? You know, you're gonna get so many ideas um, from your competition. And um, back to your, your clay making idea, you could do this with, you know, buying from any other business that's similar. And it doesn't have to be obviously your friends. It could be anything on Etsy and just see the process. And basically, if it's a good process and you were happy, then, you know, duplicate that process. Um, so I think your competition, yeah, you, you want to know everything about them. Um, you want to go on to their you know, now hiring page and see what kind of jobs they're hiring for. Um, you don't, I mean, you don't need to apply for one, but you just want to see like, oh, wow, they're hiring a programmer. Maybe I'm going to need a programmer. Um, or they have no job openings, which means maybe the business isn't doing that well and they're not growing. Um, you know, Google, I Google, this is all, I do this all the time. I Google a business's address to pull it up on Google Maps to see what kind of office building they're in. You know, are they in some like dumpy, you know, building or house or somebody's garage or are they, you know, I, I mean, I just, you can, um, you can do some good stalking. All around information, the power of internet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the key is to do stalking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Le legally. Yeah, I know that, yes. Legally. Yeah, legally. legally okay. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah. This was really a pleasure. Thank awesome, man. Pleasure time. was mine. Great, yeah. great to be with all three of you. Thanks, Cameron. It's really fun. Have a, have a and great thank day. you, yeah. Nutella, Sign. as well, for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks for joining us in this episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to tune in for the next one.
You can find short clips of the interview on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Tell us what you think on Discord and Reddit. We are How Real Life Works on all the socials. Links are in the description.